Good morning, everybody. My name is Ed Frost. Um, I want to say thank you to Pastor Jeff and all the pastoral team here and yourselves for your welcome to me today and my invitation to preach. I'm excited to be with you. Uh, greetings from Manchester, New Hampshire, and your little sister church to the north known as Christ the Way. Uh, the name of that church comes from a line in John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So up in the north in Manchester, we're, we're working that out one step at a time. Um, it's so lovely to be in a big church today. I don't often get to be in a big church. Our little church is uh, eight to ten families big on any particular Sunday. And uh, it's also unusual for me to be preaching without little children running around between my feet, uh, which is part of what I really enjoy about our odd little church. Uh, we do meet in a big building. Uh, we are loaned space by Manchester Christian Church, uh, a lovely, big, new, shiny campus, and we meet in one of their cafes. <laughs> so, greetings from the north. What's been on my heart as I've been preparing to preach is actually the um, Revised Common Lectionary Gospel text for today. So if you have your Bibles with you, or if not, I think it's going to be on the screen, uh, we're actually preaching from the beautiful Gospel of John, which I'm very excited about. From chapter 14, and we're going to pick up the story right in the middle of all these red letters. If you have a red-letter Bible, this is just like pages and pages of red letters. And John kind of, I don't know, about halfway through verse chapter 12, I think, starts this intimate recollection that lasts through chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. A beautiful big chunk. It's amazing to me how he could have remembered all of Jesus' words. My wife will tell you I can't remember two things, let alone all of that. But I think we're going to find out today how John did it. John chapter 14, and we're picking things up at um, verse 23. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you have heard is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. 
And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. Thanks be to God for his word to us today. Amen. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, always be acceptable to you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, I'm going to bring three P words to you today, and uh, kind of riffing off Pastor Serena, who brought three P words from Philippians. I guess Philippians is the first P word. There was prayer and praise, and then she took it to a fourth P word, which is one of mine, so thanks for the connection. And my three words are presence, peace, and power. How about that? A good sermon should always have alliteration, don't you think? I'm struck sometimes by the context in which we live as Christians. Uh, many of you know I passed it in uh, Derry and before that in Wyndham, and it's been almost seven years now, which is an interestingly holy number, uh, since I've been part of regular parish ministry. And I miss it, I really do. Uh, my little church in Manchester is, in a way, a sort of mission church. It's a, a church-type mission. It's not even a fully organized church. And that basically means we don't really know how it's going to work out from month to month. So I, I miss this opportunity to put on my suit and pick up my Bible and, and preach the Word and be with you. Instead, uh, my main mission these days is as a chaplain and as a trainer of chaplains. And so I kind of have, in the last seven years, stepped out of the context of church and stepped into the world that very often knows nothing of peace or presence or power or praise or prayer or Bibles or hymns or the life of faith. And hospitals, I think, and airports are interesting places. They're places of hellos and goodbyes. Hospitals particularly are places of getting real really fast. It's a place where artifice and facade evaporate in a mere sentence. Good places to be with people. And uh, that's just chaplaincy in... The hospital, as uh, the director of chaplaincy for our district, I get the privilege of working with and praying for chaplains who work in all kinds of contexts, and I'm so proud of you, uh, Pastor Serena, I'm just boasting on you today, I guess, uh, for your work as a chaplain in the workplace. God bless you as you minister to your second congregation of uh, over 100 people. Thank you for your work. And what I also reflect on is those of us who carry the title pastor are, in fact, very ordinary. Uh, we are just ordinary people who have somehow managed to make it through Bible college or seminary and somehow managed to persuade a group of people to ordain us, which still surprises me that they let me through. And as I listen to the news, I am very conscious of a world that is hurting and is needy. So, kind of on the macro level, with nations at war and famines, I'm thinking about those big storms that will be passing through the Midwest today and tornadoes and mobile home parks that have been destroyed. There's a lot of misery in the world. 
And at the same time, we live in this beautiful New England, and here we are in late spring. I mean, does it get any better than living in New England in spring? The trees are full of blossom. There's a thousand shades of green on the trees. The sunshine is beautiful. Even when it rains, it's lovely. And I was laying in bed last night listening to the wind and thinking how blessed I am. Man, we have it good, don't we? Long may it be. Praying for old England, my original country, as it's continuing to go through political turmoil this week and will be for a few more weeks and probably a few more months and who knows, a few more years. It'll figure it out, I'm sure. Lord knows how. And then on the micro level, there's just all that's going on in our busy lives. I would love to have an hour to sit and talk with each of you and just hear about what's going on in your families. I bet you'd have stories to tell. I'm thinking about my mom today, who is at end of life in this season, after having walked with 17 years of Parkinson's disease, have ravaged her, no longer able to speak, struggling to eat, my brother and I feeling very distant and far away from her. Say a prayer for Anne today in your heart, if you would, please. Where is God in all of this uh, strange mixture of beauty and truth and life and heartache and hurt? Sometimes I just feel very needy. How about you? You know, it's great. I love to sing these songs and they really encourage me. And I was just reflecting as uh, the worship team were leading us in that last song how sometimes there are days when I don't feel those wonderful things. There are whole seasons of my life, and perhaps you can resonate, where I do not know where the peace has gone. And God seems like nowhere to be found. Can we be honest? Maybe you have never known a season like that in your life. I'm surprised how many people I meet who are on medications for anxiety and depression. It's extraordinary. And who here is a stranger to anxiety? Who here hasn't known some depression in some season of life? And it's not just like when things are going terribly wrong, when there's a bad diagnosis or something like that. It's just the ordinary everyday stuff of feeling disconnected from each other and feeling far from God, marriages struggling, kids and parents fighting. Loneliness is endemic in our society. And as Pastor Mary knows all too well, we're ravaged by addiction in our society. And why do people take drugs? I don't think anyone grows up thinking, one day I want to be a heroin addict. No one hopes for that in their life, right? They get there because it's a pain less than the pain that they were suffering that motivated them to find solace in something that gives them a moment of relief and release. Oh my gosh, the human condition is a needy one, is it not? But I'm speaking in the abstract. Can you particularize in the personal? So here's my question to you today, and it's a question of honesty. Uh, can we take a moment and just be simple before God about what is going on in our lives? 
Here's my question. What do you need God to be to you today? What if you were just to have a seven or eight minute private audience with the risen Lord Jesus Christ? What question would you ask him? Or would you not ask him a question? Would you just sit and hold his hand and tell him how it is? Or if you didn't have words, would you just let there be a silent heart-to-heart conversation between you and the Lord today? And what would that be like? What would you want him to know about what's going on in your private world? Can you get there with me today? So what do we need God to be for us today? Can you answer the question just silently in the quietness of your own spirit? Could you do that just for a moment? And here comes Jesus. (laughs) Here comes Jesus. He's with his disciples who are more or less clueless filled with their own agendas. I love the fact that John is so honest about that, don't you? It's hard not to like John. And Jesus says to them, you don't get it. You are such a long way from getting it, but it's okay that you don't get it. Getting it's not important, but here, listen to this because you're going to need this coming up real soon. I'm going. They don't even know, I don't think they've really understood how he's going to go. And for them, it's just a matter of days away. He says, let me tell you how it is. Let me drop some truth into what is going to be a tough week for you all. I am with you. I am with you. And he uses this beautiful word that so many of our Bibles translate as abide. And you know, expositors always struggle with this word. I'm going to dwell with you deeply. And to Jewish ears, they know what this means. This means I'm going to tabernacle with you. It's really all the same word. Jesus was almost certainly speaking in Aramaic. We have it recorded in Greek, so we don't know the actual word he used. But I would bet it's tabernacle with you. I'm going to temple with you. I'm going to mercy seat on top of the Ark of Covenant Shekinah glory with you. I'm going to incarnate with you. Oh, the great truth of the Christian faith, the unique truth of the Christian faith, that God hasn't just come for a passing visit like Zeus nipping down from the mountaintop. He has come to stay and build his home in us, with us, amongst us. I am abiding with you. And I'm here for keeps. I'm committed. It's just like when this community built this church in Nashua. It said to Nashua, we're here. We're putting our roots down. We're grounded with you. For whatever that means for the next 100, 200, 300 years, this community of Christ is here in this city deeply in every way. And Jesus is saying the same thing. I'm abiding with you. I'm here. 
And even though I'm going in some weird way you don't yet get, I'm coming back again. And I think he meant the resurrection, which was just around the corner. And I think we can look and sort of macroize that and talk about the second coming of Christ. But in between the resurrection moment, now almost 2,000 years ago, and in between the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to wrap it all up and make all things new finally, please, Lord Jesus, this week would be fine with me, upon the second coming, there is this other sense of deeply being. I am bringing, and then he uses another word we all struggle with, the paraclete, or depending on your version of the Bible that you like to read, the helper or the counselor or the advocate. And it means the one who comes alongside and deeply befriends you, deeply takes your position, the encourager, the one who advises and guides and will open your mind and bring to remembrance and encourage and indwell and work with you in all of the mess of life. That one who is really me in another form, who is the Father, because frankly, you won't be able to tell the difference between any of the three of us. We are all coming, Trinitarian, to live with you. And not just in you individually in a personal evangelical experience, although that's true, but I'm coming with you in community to dwell in your interrelationships and figure it all out and work through the conflict and the differences and the priorities and the mess. And we're in it together. So presence, I am with you. Now, not just with you in a kumba, let's put our hands around each other and, and make s'mores kind of way, although frankly, that would be great. I'll do s'mores with Jesus, right? But I am coming with you to empower you. Oh, the Holy Spirit's power is both gentle and powerful at the same time. I am, I am going to be cut through all the nonsense with you. I am going to bring you sharp truth. I'm not going to let you get away with any of your nonsense. I'm not going to let you live behind any of your masks. I'm going to cut right to the deep point of you. Truth sharp and clean and life-giving. I'm going to prune you. He says it just a, a little bit later. In John 15, he gets into the I am the vine and I'm also going to prune off all the bits that don't bear fruit and prune the bits that do bear fruit. This power for living is very immediate and not at all abstract. So what do you need God to be for you today? He can be that, and then he's going to take it a step or two further for you. Are you lonely today? It's okay to admit it. It's part of the human condition. God can deeply fellowship with you. Are you feeling hopeless today? God can give you just a little bit of vision to take you through it and get you on your feet and get you moving again today. I was thinking on the way over here of Aldersgate Day, which was, uh, when was Aldersgate Day? Friday. Who knows what Aldersgate Day is? Only good hardcore Methodists know what Aldersgate Day is. Hi, Fern. Thinking about wonderful chaplains, friends in the house. 
Uh, Aldersgate Day is the day when John Wesley, our sort of spiritual hero, right, in our part of the theological spectrum, limped, damaged, bruised, and broken from massively embarrassing ministry failure, having crashed and burned in Savannah, Georgia. He limps home on a nighttime boat to England, and he mooches around licking his wounds, and he crawls into the back of a Moravian worship meeting in the suburb of London called Aldersgate, and he later recalls that the preacher really wasn't very good. I love John Wesley for saying that. Even when he's at the bottom of the barrel, he's still critiquing preachers. And he sits at the back, and the preacher is reading through an introduction to the book of Romans, of all things. And he just gets a little God touch. And he says, my heart was strangely warmed. And he suddenly realized that God was his God. And all of his sins, God could deal with every single one of them. On all of his shame and, humili and humiliation and embarrassment and feeling not up to life and not up to the job and having limped out of a terrible failed romance in which he completely missed it because John Wesley was not good at romance. He was a great theologian but terrible at dating. He said, even God could deal with that. And he just sits there, ordinary and broken. I don't even know if the people in that prayer meeting knew they had a superstar sitting in the back row. But he wasn't feeling like a superstar that day. And he doesn't even know how to ask God for what he needs, I don't think. And God says, you know, I love you, John. I was going to pick you up, brush the dust off you, put my breath in you tell you how much I love you, and then we're going to go out and change the world. Okay with you? And it wasn't even that clear. He just said, I felt my heart strangely warmed. He was 35 years old and had done nothing but get it wrong up to that point, even though he was brilliant. And of course, the rest is history. The whole of the Methodist movement sprung from that one moment, and in many ways, the church, the Nazarene, sprung from that one moment too. So where are you today? What do you God need God to be for you? His presence is here. He brings you his power. He can meet your needs. And the world can't. That's why he says when we move on to the third P, peace, he says the world can't give you peace like this. Why? Because the world is always transactional. I'll do this for you if you do this for me. And there has to be equality in the negotiation. No, there's no equality with God. He's got it all and you've got none of it. And he's just going to dump a whole bucket of peace over you. Like that charming thing you Americans do at the end of football games to your coaches, you know, where you take the Gatorade. And, <laughs> and that's just a picture of what God is able and ready and yearning to do in your life. And it may happen all in a glorious moment of prayer and revelation. I love it when that happens. But most often it works through incremental obedience. Day by day, getting up and doing the right thing. 
This is where this whole thing where he says, where he says, if you love me, you'll, you'll live in my word. And later on he says, if you love me, you'll obey me. But it isn't transactional because you can't possibly love him. He's just inviting you to. I love the banner on the front of your church, an invitation. I love that. But the, here's the secret, is as you walk, so the obedience will follow. As you start to do Jesus stuff, you'll know and be empowered to do more Jesus stuff. So the love and the obedience go hand in hand. You will learn to love as you're obedient, and you'll be obedient because you love. And it's not one or the other, it's both and. And so if you're ever just in a logjam in your faith, and you're just not feeling it, and Jesus is nowhere to be found, and the worship is falling flat, and you really can't open your Bible, and you just feel at the end of your Christian walk, here's my secret. Go out and love somebody in Jesus' name, especially the unlovely people. Go and be kind to somebody who doesn't deserve your kindness. Go and smile at somebody who's scowling at you. Go and just love someone. I don't even know what that will look like or who it's going to be, but Jesus will give you someone to love in that moment, believe me. And when you do that, it will be your acceptable act of worship. And then the ball will start to roll and your spiritual life will pick up again. And soon you'll be in a better and stronger place. Sometimes the only thing you can do is just put one Christian foot in front of another. I found it that way. How about you? So then comes this peace. You know the word, shalom. You know it means wholeness, togetherness, holistic health, a rounded out well-being, a fullness of life, the John John 10.10, 10, I have come to give you life and to give you life abundantly, shalomness. He says, I've got a whole lot of that for you. Just step into it. Just begin. And begin by asking. So, his power, his presence, his peace. I love that he particularizes it, and I'll finish on this point. Troubled hearts. Did you read that in the text? Let not your hearts be troubled. Do not be anxious. Let that be your guide today. I invite you just to a moment of quiet prayer. I know our worship team are going to come and lead us now. Can you find that place of troubledness within you? Brother and sister, where in your heart is there troubledness today? Have you come today flying on the mountaintop? Or is there, if you look within, could you invite God into your heart now? And could you say to him, I notice God in myself today, a certain troubledness. There is a place in my heart where I am carrying anxiety today. I'm not going to invite you to the altar. The altar is here if you want to come. But I'm going to ask you to make your seat right where you are an altar. 
Would you close your eyes with me just a moment? You don't have to. I just invite you to. And could you just give a quiet moment? Let's just be still for 10 seconds and listen to what the Holy Spirit would say. Where is your place where you need God today? Thank you, God. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for the presence of Christ among us and with us. Lord, my prayer for myself first and foremost, and my prayer for all of my sisters and brothers in the family of Christ who are with me in the room today and who might be listening outside the room today. Is there a place, Lord, where we can bring you our troubled hearts and our anxieties? God, would you meet us here at this crossroads? Lord, show me what peace could look like for me today in this place of my life. Show me what your presence and your power is. I ask you, Lord, for yourself. Come, Lord Jesus, make me new again. Amen.